What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you get all of our new updates to any baseball content we put out, podcasts, articles, anything in our draft guide. Literally just any baseball content you guys will find shared out at EthosFantasyBB. And if you're not somebody who does use social media, please do go to SportsEthos.com. You'll get everything there right from the source. I do want to remind you guys, too, it's the beginning of the week. If you haven't done so already, a rating and review really does help the show grow. It helps um, the algorithm work. I'm not really sure how the algorithm works for these particular sites and YouTube and podcasts and Twitter and everything. But I do know that you guys helping out with a rating and a review, likes on YouTube shows, all of that really does help more people to see us. And that is very much appreciated. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, it's also a really easy way to help out. I know that a lot of you listen here every day that aren't subscribed. So if you're just somebody who does usually click on a link from Twitter or somewhere else, um, it does help both of us out if you just hit the subscribe button. You get those shows right into your feed every single day. Helps the numbers stay up for me. Everybody wins, so make sure you guys are doing that. And the last thing I will say before we get going here is that make sure you're checking out our live stream tomorrow. It'll be 12 noon Eastern time, so 9 a.m. Pacific. We're doing a Tout Wars live stream. Trust me, this time is not when I would usually be doing a draft. It's a little bit odd, but that is when it is set up for Tout Wars. So we are going to be live on stream tomorrow with John Legaza, who is also in the draft as well. Uh, MLB Moving Averages was his ad on Twitter for a long time. He's a writer for The Athletic. He does a lot of stuff in the baseball world and football as well. But we're going to be drafting our teams tomorrow. We have a couple of special guests who will be popping by as well. Uh, likely Justin Mason and Paul Spore will be joining us at some point. Not sure for how long, but just popping in uh, to see how the draft is going as well. So make sure you're checking us out there. It'll be live on YouTube, and as well uh, on my Twitter at JoeOrico99. Now today we are going to be talking about some spring training news and notes that I find are worth talking about. I've been doing this on Twitter, and it's something I will continue to do on Twitter, is post out my notes, the probably the five or six, sometimes more, sometimes less, uh, most important players of the day, just talking about some of their some of the things to be looking for. And we did mention on Friday the things to look for and not to look for in spring training, there are certain things that are just noise. <clears throat> there are certain things that are, you know, very, very important to be looking at. And if you miss Friday's show, just a brief thing. If a pitcher is, you know, has a lot of increased velocity or decreased velocity, that's something where you can make a tangible change and look at your rankings and say, okay, I thought he was going to be throwing 94. He's throwing 96, 97. I can bump him up a spot or two. If hitters are reaching new exit velocities, if they're hitting the ball harder than they ever have at great launch angles, then, yeah, that's something tangible. But if it's just simply a guy hit a home run today or this guy went three for three, he had a couple of hits, and you're moving him up because of that, then there's probably a problem in, in your process because there are a lot of players who will hit home runs in spring training. You can't move them all up. I saw it with Christopher Morrell the other day, and we talked about it. Morrell hits a home run, and immediately like someone tweeted out, oh, he just went in the 10th round of a draft where his ADP is round 14. It's like I, I don't want to get into it too much, but <clears throat> that is kind of the thing you avoid, right? Pushing a player up four rounds because of one spring training home run. There are certain things to look at, and we'll talk about it today. But there is definitely certain things you can ignore as well. So we're going to start off with my notes from Saturday, and then we will talk about Sunday's games, and that will be our show for today. So let's start off with my Saturday notes and Tyler McGill. Tyler McGill, you know, I can't quit this guy. I can never, ever be fully out on Tyler McGill. I've been, I've just always liked him. There are certain players that you just like, right? For one reason or another, 
I've always been in on McGill. I think it was a couple years ago. 2021 is probably where I really fell in love with him. He looks kind of like DeGrom. Like his motion, his pitching delivery is kind of DeGrom-esque, and maybe that's where part of it comes from. But he also had a very impressive uh, debut spring training. So two innings pitched. He allowed two hits, one earned run, struck out three. He had a 31% called strike plus whiff uh, CSW percentage. It's a number that was created, if you're unfamiliar, by Nick Pollock and Alex Fast from Pitcher List. Alex no longer at Pitcher List. He's now a big shot working for MLB.com. But uh, MLB in general, not just the website. Um, but that's called strikes plus whiffs. It's fairly self-explanatory. 31% is a very solid number. Anywhere above 30% is a very good number. He had 96.4 on his fastball, 91 on his slider. And the big thing for me with McGill was that he threw 61.5% of his pitches for strikes, 24 out of his 39 pitches. That was a huge concern with McGill. It is still a huge concern with McGill is that his walk rate, his command is not the greatest. It wasn't even that bad, really, 21 and 22. But then last year, we saw that balloon to a strikeout rate above, or excuse me, a walk rate above 10%. The strikeout rate came down. He had a 280 batting average against last year, and he had a 158 whip. It was a bad, bad season for McGill. I'm not going to you know, try and lie about that or try and make it seem better than it was. It was a bad year. But he'll get a shot in the rotation now, especially with Kodai Senga injured. And I think his ADP at 561, you can't really go too wrong. I think the raw talent is still there, and he'll have a shot. If he doesn't work out, you can very easily drop him. You can use your last-round pick on him type of thing. There's a chance that he can return a top 75 or so starting pitcher season. I'm not expecting it necessarily, but it is definitely a possibility. So don't be uh, discarding Tyler McGill. A lot of people, when I tweeted that out, said, ah, it's McGill. He's definitely more interesting than people give him credit for. Next up, let's talk about Louis Varland, who at this point is projected to not make the opening day rotation for the Minnesota Twins. This one is kind of Odd. I don't really understand why they want to go with Anthony DiSclefani as the fifth starter. This feels like something where it's not going to last terribly long. They have a great rotation. Pablo Lopez, Joe Ryan, Bailey Ober, Chris Paddock, and then DiSclefani in the fifth spot is kind of strange to me. I don't, I don't know how long that's going to stick, but Louis Varlin got his first start of the spring on Saturday. Two innings, he allowed three hits, struck out two, did not allow any runs, and did not walk any batters. 25% CSW, which is fine. It's nothing crazy. Um, but it was still a very good first start to the spring for him. He's not probably going to start in the rotation, but I still think that it, it won't take very long before he gets there. Last year, we're looking at a 19.1 strikeout minus walk rate, a 381 XFIP, a 377 Sierra as a rookie. He absolutely deserves a spot in the rotation. He's being drafted to pick 314. Uh, in February, 12-team drafts, that is his ADP, 314. The big problem really last year was the home runs he allowed. It was an unsustainable 2.12 homers per nine. No one ever is going to be that bad year over year. It just doesn't happen. It's almost impossible to sustain. I think he's a solid buy. Even if he doesn't start the year in the rotation from day one, I don't think it'll take too long before they make the switch to him over Anthony DiScofani. DiScofani is fine. Like He's had some good seasons a couple of years ago. I forget if it was 21 or 22 uh, Tony Disco was an amazing fantasy asset of uh, that year where he was on the Giants. He was like a low threes ERA. He was out there all the time. Like he was really, really good. But he should not be taking up a spot over a young budding star in Louis Varlin. I might be overusing the word star there, but a very talented young pitcher should not be taking a seat for a guy like Discofani, who's very limited in terms of his upside. I think that Varlin is a solid buy at the end of your drafts. Let's talk Brian De La Cruz. He hit two of the three hardest hit balls uh, of his career um, at 111.7 and 110.5, respectively. They were both doubles. He's a middle-of-the-order bat for what 
actually probably going to be kind of a sneaky good offense in Miami. You're going to be batting right behind Josh Bell, Tim Anderson, Jazz Chisholm, and Jake Berger. You know, uh, my rough projection for him, I'm still working through outfield projections. That's like the last position to do. Outfield and starting pitcher, they're the two trickiest. Although shortstop has actually been uh, very difficult as well. But regardless, uh, my rough projection for Brian De La Cruz right now is about 20 homers, five stolen bases, and a 265 batting average. He could very easily give you 150 runs plus RBIs, 75 and 75, 70 and 80, something along those lines. And he's still going after pick 300. I love the value. He's not going to hurt you in any category. That power upside for Dela Cruz is easily 30 plus. Like I'll project about 20 to 25 range, but he could easily be a 30 home run bat, especially if he's able to keep those exit velocities up in the 110 type of range. Like that is a ridiculous number. I'm not sure he's going to get there all the time, but it's a very nice sign to see him have his hardest hit ball of his career uh, on the first day of spring training. I like him as a late round pick. Garrett Whitlock got the start for Boston on Saturday. Two innings pitched, uh, one hit, one earned run. He struck out two and did not walk any batters. We did not have StatCast data for that game. I'm not sure what the CSW was. And it's a gripe that I shared on social media yesterday. Why do we not have StatCast data at every single park in the year 2024? Like, it's at all major league parks. But why are there minor league parks, spring training facilities, whatever, that don't have it? It doesn't seem like it would be that complicated. And we have starts like, you know, Cole Reagan's yesterday was, uh, was fantastic. And we don't have StatCast data on it. Why? I don't know. But either either way, uh, we don't have the data on Whitlock. He's a very interesting arm. He's projected as a bullpen arm, and that's probably correct, but I think he'll still get the odd start here and there. Uh, I don't think that he'll be somebody who is exclusively a bullpen arm. I think he'll be used as a starter maybe 10 or 12 times this year, and I think that he'll be a fantasy viable player in either role. He has a career 21% strikeout minus walk rate, a 338 XFIP, a 327 Sierra, more than 200 innings pitched now. It's not like we're talking about one small sample size season. It's over three seasons that he's done this. His 341 ADP is really nice, even if we only see 80 or so innings out of him. Uh, there's a lot to be said about those guys who have good strikeout rates, good ratios. Whitlock is consistently one of them. So even if it is 80 some odd innings, you're not paying a high price for him. 341 is, is very low. And I think he's worth taking a shot on in a lot of leagues. Maybe not in your shallowest of leagues, but anything deeper. Like, I think I think 12s is kind of like the borderline for him. If it's a 12-team league with somewhat deeper rosters, I think that's where you can kind of take the plunge on him. 15-team leagues for sure. 10-team leagues, probably not so much. Let's talk Cedric Mullins. Cedric Mullins, he didn't do much in his spring training debut. He's over two with a walk. But he got the start in the leadoff spot, and that's something that we talked about when we did our Orioles preview with Ben Palmer, that you know Mullins is projected about fifth, about sixth, maybe even seventh against lefties, or maybe even be out of the lineup against lefties sometimes. But there's a very good chance that he is able to regain that leadoff spot that we know he, he's thrived in, and it's a very good sign that he was there from the first day of spring training. Again, the game itself, the, the stats weren't as important, over two of the walk as whatever, um, but it's really nice sign to see him in the leadoff spot. I think he's still valuable even as a six-hole, seven-hole guy potentially. Uh, but I pick 137 in that great lineup, if he does find his way to the top of the order again, uh, you're looking at some pretty sweet value there from Cedric Mullins. Let's move on to Sunday's games. Let's start with Carlos Rodon. Mixed results. Uh, it started off very, very well, but the end line was two and two-thirds innings. I didn't think he'd come back out for the third. When I was writing my notes, I had written it as – He's, he's thrown two innings. He's, it's a two-inning start, and then I went back and looked, and I thought, why the hell would he come back out for the third? He looked like he hit a wall in the second inning. Um, you know, It looked really strong, and then he had two consecutive walks, and then he hit a batter. 
it wasn't an amazing start overall. It was fine. Two and two thirds, uh, one hit, one earned run. It was a home run to Alejandro Kirk. That was the run. Five strikeouts, 25% CSW. Bit of a mixed bag. Uh, he sat 93 on his fastball. He topped out at 95. We mentioned it a couple weeks ago. I was ecstatic. I think I titled the show uh, something along the lines of Carlos Ordon is back or something. He hit 97 on his fastball about a week ago, and now he was topping out at 95, averaging 93. So it's not ideal. I mean, I know it's early in spring, and everybody's posting on Twitter, who cares, it's early in spring, blah, blah, blah. But it's still something to take note of. If he maybe pushed himself a little bit too far last week, thinking he's all the way back, and now he's topping out at 95, we need to see consistent velocity readings from him throughout the spring. It's going to be a huge indication of where he is. If he starts to go back to like 93, 94 consistently, 92, 94, 93, that's going to be a situation where I have to lower him in my rankings. If we do see Rodon 95, 96, 97 consistently, and if he's showing the good command that we saw early on yesterday, because it did kind of go away a little bit, then, I mean, it's still a work in progress, right? As of right now, I'm still fairly interested in Rodon. I don't see a reason to be that worried. It wasn't the most ideal of outings, though, to be sure. It was fine. Good that he had five strikeouts. It's bad that he hit a wall in the second inning at about 35, 40 pitches. And I know it's early in spring, but just something to keep an eye on for now. I'm still pretty confident that we'll see him return value on his 130 ADP. I'm just worried that it's going to skyrocket um, based on a couple of tweets that we see. And the velocity was good for a while. And that's the thing. Velocity was better in the first than it was in the second than it was in the third. It kind of tailed off a little bit. So people might see in the first he's touching 96 or whatever. It's like, oh, okay, push him up around. The whole, the whole picture really does matter here, especially because he did kind of fall off pretty early on. If it was the fourth or fifth inning of a start and you see him start to fall off a little bit, okay. But the second inning is a little bit worrisome uh, for sure. Let's talk about Cole Irvin. Cole Irvin was very impressive uh, in his Orioles, not debut, but in his season debut. Two innings pitched, three strikeouts, no hits, no runs, no walks, a 39% CSW, which is an incredible, stupid number that you don't see anybody average. Uh, you know, you people do hit it on game game-to-game basis, but that's a stupid number to hit, 39% CSW, especially for somebody like Cole Irvin, who doesn't throw terribly hard. Now, yesterday, he was up at least 1.3 miles per hour on each of his pitches. His cutter was up 2.5 from last year. I think he makes sense as a dart throw. I think with the Kyle Bradish news, I don't know exactly what's going to happen with Kyle Bradish, but his UCL, this is going to be a tough one. His UCL is probably going to tear at some point this year. It's just based on what we are seeing, based on the reports we have, it's very unlikely Bradish is going to make it through a whole year. Now, even with Bradish in the rotation, it's likely Cole Irvin gets a shot. But with Bradish now in flux a little bit, I think Cole Irvin is going to be a fairly regular starter for the Orioles. And he does deserve a, a shot at the end of your draft. You know, it's not somebody you need to push up a lot or anything. He might end up being a drop. But good early return in spring. We have seen him in the past be very valuable. 2022, there was a good stretch of like two months where he was shutting down the Astros, shutting down the Blue Jays, shutting down the Yankees. He was dominant. He was excellent. I'm not saying he's going to be an excellent pitcher, but I'm saying he's probably worth a shot at the end of your draft, especially the deeper the league goes. I think it's more worth giving Cole Irvin a shot. Marcus Stroman was a bit of a disaster. Two and a third. He allowed four hits, two earned runs. He struck out two and walked one. 23% CSW. We're getting to the range of really not good there. His velo was also down across the board. It wasn't significantly down. It was only about a tick down or so. But you're only talking about a guy who averages 91 or 92. He cannot afford to lose ticks anywhere. If anything, you're hoping that Stroman is able to like get up to 93, 94 potentially. But if he's going down to 90, 91, 
there's really not a hell of a lot of interest there. I was already kind of out on Strowman this first start of the spring. Yeah, that's one start. But when I already was coming from a place of not being that interested, this certainly didn't help. I'll put it that way. I don't mind him as a, you know, a late guy who can probably eat a lot of innings. But I, I don't think that he's somebody that you should consider like a, a, a foundational piece of your rotation. You can look at the numbers over the last almost decade and say, okay, he's a sub-four ERA guy. The strikeouts aren't there, but the ratios are good. Good team context now. Like, there's people are going to be higher on Stroman than they should be. And maybe I'll be lower on him than I should be as well. But I just think that there's really not a hell of a lot of upside there, especially when you look at the low strikeouts, the velocity dwindling. There's really not a hell of a lot of interest I have uh, in Marcus Stroman this year. Let's talk Brian Bayo. He faced a pretty complete um, Braves lineup Acuna, Albies, and Riley, and all the rest of it. And he had two innings pitch, no earned runs, struck out three, and walked one. He's a fairly polarizing pitcher, Brian Bayo, and I don't particularly love the whole Red Sox context. When we did our show with, with Eno and Nick a few weeks ago, our 500th episode, we talked about pitchers, and we didn't talk about Bayo specifically. I don't think it was more along the Nick Pavetta um, discussion because we did talk about Nick Pavetta, but just the worry, especially that Eno had about Fenway, about how bad of a park it is to pitch in, not just from the, you know, the param- not the parameters, the... My my brain is fried. What's the word? Um, just not from the metrics. The Jesus, I can't think of the word. The dimensions. Thank you. The dimensions uh, in the park are bad, but it's also a psychological thing that the players have because the backstop is kind of odd. And Eno said he did some polling among players, and Boston is not a place that they like to pitch. And if you look at home and away splits last year for like even Cutter Crawford, a lot of different Red Sox, they were pretty bad at home. I don't expect Bayo to be terribly expensive. I don't expect his price to go up a lot because of what we saw yesterday, although potentially we could. So I just think we should try not to get carried away. We saw he had a good couple innings against maybe the best lineup in baseball, which is definitely a good sign. But let's not be pushing Bayo up too, too much just because of what was a good outing. Um, We need to see a lot more out of him. And I think he's somebody where, and I think a lot of Red Sox pitchers will be guys where you'd be a lot more interested starting them on the road. And Bayo might be one of those guys where – He's going to be a tricky guy to start every single week. If it's a home week against a couple of tough AL East opponents, it might be kind of tricky. So I just think we need to pump the brakes a little bit while still being fairly excited. You know, it was a very good outing. But let's not get carried away and start pushing him up several rounds just yet. Let's talk Mackenzie Gore. Two innings pitched, two hits, one earned run. He struck out four, and he had a 42% called strike um, called strike and whiff rate. Uh, CSW, my God. I need to finish my coffee because I have only half half of my coffee so far. Uh, so apologize for tripping over my words. The prospect pedigree with Mackenzie Gore is still really good. I, I don't know if you remember in 2022, there was a good chunk of the season early on where we thought Mackenzie Gore was going to run away with the National League Rookie of the Year when he was a Padre. He was electric. Now, he did fall off, especially when you know, he was traded to Washington. He was a part of the Juan Soto deal, him and Abrams. Um, it was a, It was a massive trade with like seven pieces involved in it. But Mackenzie Gore, I think, is still somebody that could potentially be breaking out. And I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna say like, yes, like this start is an indication that he is going to absolutely break out this year. But it's a really good sign from a guy who's still 25 years old. And I, I just think that there's there's certain players that we kind of forget about, whether it's because they have a bad year. He's like a po- he's a classic post hype guy, right? That's that's essentially what I'm talking about. These post hype type of sleepers. He's a couple years in now, so I don't know how much he's gonna qualify, but I think he still does. A guy that was very, very highly regarded as a pitching prospect. He's in a bad team. The control has struggled a little bit. But there's still, you're talking about a 25-year-old, fairly raw stud. Um, it's stud in the making. I think Mackenzie Gore is going to be somebody who does compete for Cy Youngs 
over the next five years or so. I'm not sure if it'll be this year, but there's definitely a chance that Gore could break out. And I, I think if you're a player who plays in multiple leagues, you got to take a couple shares just to see if this is the year. Cause I think there's a good chance that it could be. Now you're going to be limited still in terms of wins. The team context is not going to be good, but good strikeout rates and, and pretty decent ratios, I think could be in store for Mackenzie Gore this year. Let's talk about Christian Pache. Now he came to the place. Uh, he came to the plate twice when I had written out my notes, and it was a 102 mile an hour single and a 101 mile an hour home run. Now, really nice to see, but I think we're we're probably at the point where we can call him a bust. Like I don't think there's a role for him in the Phillies outfield. I think it would take a ridiculous stretch here in spring for him to even make the team. And even then, I don't see him being a regular player. Um, we can ignore this, I think, despite the fact that it is nice to see, you know, a couple of really hard-hit balls, a homer. I just don't think there's room for him, and I think that we're kind of at the point where we can just kind of move on from Pache. If it's a redraft, dynasty, whatever, I just don't have any interest anymore. I think we can kind of just declare him a bust, unfortunately, at this point. But I did want to mention it because there will be people who will always go back into the Pache's and the Joe Adele's of the world and a lot of those players who didn't really pan out. You see a glimmer of hope, and you might want to reach onto it and say, well, he had a home run today. Maybe he makes a team, and maybe he's you know starting in the outfield for the Phillies. I don't see it. I don't see it happening. Um, so I think we can pretty much just ignore this one. Let's talk a little bit about the Phillies' pen. Uh, Jeff Hoffman was down 1.6 uh, on his fastball and 2.4 on his slider. He still looked pretty good. Nothing to sound the alarm bells about, but just something to keep an eye on. If he's still down over the next couple of outings, it will be a little bit of a concern. Uh, Jose Alvarado came in after him. Cutter was up 1.2 miles an hour. Sinker was about the same. No real need to, to even really get into this so much, but I think Jose Alvarado is the guy. It doesn't have to do with Hoffman's velocity being down a couple ticks. It's not great, uh, but the fact that Alvarado came in throwing really hard, I think he is the best arm in that pen, and I, I just think that I've been saying it all offseason that he should be the guy that does get the role in Philadelphia. Hoffman came in an inning before Alvarado, whatever you want to read into that. It was like the third and fourth or fourth and fifth innings because it's still spring. There's nothing that's really that organized in terms of you're pitching the seventh, you're pitching the eighth kind of ordeal. But I do think that Jose Alvarado is the safer investment in the Phillies pen. Hoffman's a little bit cheaper, but I think the talent is lower, and I think there's just a, a lesser possibility of him returning you know, a 20-save type of season or something like that, which I think Alvarado is, is going to get you 20 saves this year. I just don't know that I can expect anything close to that with Hoffman. Let's talk about one more player, and that's James Wood. A couple of nukes that he has hit already in spring training. Uh, yesterday, he hit one that was 109.7 off the bat, went 422 feet. I think if he keeps it up, you know, because it's a couple days in a row with big homers for James Wood, if he keeps it up, it'll be very hard to keep him off the opening day roster in Washington. I like him as a late-round stash. If he doesn't make the team, then I can justify holding on to him for a couple weeks, and that's why there are certain sites that allow you to stash minor league players outside of your bench. Uh, Yahoo calls it the NA spot, um, not available or whatever, whatever they refer to it as. There are certain sites where you can do that, and you don't need to take up a spot on your active roster to stash a guy like James Wood, and I think Wood is somebody that should be up fairly soon if he doesn't make the team. There's not, like, who's going to be holding this guy off from, from a regular role? Is it going to be Joey Gallo or one of these random minor league contract guys that they've signed? I don't know. I, I really don't think there's a lot that's going to hold James Wood back um, from being a fairly productive player this season, and I think that he is an early candidate for stash of the spring. Um, you know, guys like Jackson Holiday, Wyatt Langford, they're probably going to make their respective opening day rosters. And they're already names that are flashy. Everybody's talking about. 
Wood isn't getting the same type of publicity, the same same the same type of hype that he was a year or so ago. And based on what we've seen the first couple of days of spring, it's looking pretty damn good. So I'm not saying he's going to make the team. I'm not saying he's going to be rookie of the year or anything like that. But I do think he does make sense here as a stash um, as we head into the month of March, which will be coming up just around the corner. This is the last week of February. And then we're going to get into so much fun here on the show. It's going to be probably a couple shows a week at some point. I'm mean, a couple shows a week. Uh, there'll be some days where it's a couple shows a day. It's going to be some days where I go on the weekend. Uh, there's going to be so much content here. It's going to make your head spin. So make sure you guys are checking this out over at Joe or Rico 99 on Twitter. You'll get these notes right when they're released. Um, there might be some Discord stuff as well this year, but for now, these are going to be just out on Twitter for free. There's no paywall. There's no Patreon. There's no anything. Um, these notes just go out for free on Twitter. So make sure you're following along at Joe Orico 99. Also checking out Ethos Fantasy BB for any and all updates. And of course, sportsethos.com, the website. I usually don't plug it. I do sometimes, but go check out our YouTube as well. We've added a lot of subs. We've added like a thousand subs over the off season, um, just over like the last month or so. So it's been a lot of fun putting videos out on YouTube and seeing you guys find it over there. And our live stream tomorrow will be on YouTube and Twitter. So Tout Wars, 15-team, innings pitched, saves plus holds. It's a whole different type of format for me. I've never played in a solds league. I've played in an innings pitch league. I've played in a league that had holds, but it wasn't saves plus holds. It was like a weird saves times one, holds times .5, so you're still valuing saves more. It was kind of a complicated format, but I've never played in this specific format. It's obviously going to be great to be in Tout Wars, facing off against a lot of really, really excellent players. Uh, my league is stacked. My league is absolutely packed with a lot of people that you guys know. Um, just quickly, before I let you guys go, Sarah Sanchez, Chris Towers, Chris Clegg, Carlos Marcano, John Legaza, Derek Van Riper, Ray Flowers, Ryan Boyer, Jeff Ponce, uh, CJ Colton back. There's a lot of people you guys know in this draft. It should be a lot of fun, so make sure you guys are along for the ride tomorrow at noon Eastern time. But that'll do it for us. Again, check out that stream tomorrow. But until then, guys, take care. Have a great night. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.